Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just all that you have done. We thank you so much for those that are gathered here today to worship you together. I pray that our worship will be done in spirit and in truth. God, that you would just please remove any hindrances, any distractions, any thoughts of uh, outside, and just help us, Lord, to clear our minds of these things and to be totally focused on one thing, and that's Christ and, uh, and what you would have us um, to, to do and to know uh, from your message today. God, I need your power. I can't speak um, in myself. I, I don't have power to convict. I don't have power to change lives. And I, I certainly don't have power to grasp attention. Uh, but Lord, I know that you do. And I pray that you would just work and, sp- and speak through me this morning. Allow your message to go forth. Use it for your honor and glory. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we continue our series on the King's Sermon, and we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount, as it's uh, usually called. And today our focus is going to be on verse 4, where it says, just simply this, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I know it's just a small phrase, but there's so much uh, packed into what Jesus is saying here. Now before we get to this verse, I just want to uh, remind you that as we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and, and as I've entitled the King's Sermon, uh, what we're looking at here is really, in reality, it is the King's Manifesto. And, uh, and we said that a manifesto is basically where a sovereign or a ruler uh, will set forth the mandate or the expectations or goals or whatever it may be of his rule or of his kingdom. And so, uh, in Jesus, uh, in this instance here, Jesus asked the King... And as he is going about to establish what he is calling the the kingdom of heaven, and sometimes it's referred to as the kingdom of God, as he establishes this, uh, the king gives forth his manifesto, his uh, statement of of what he expects out of those in his kingdom, uh, of the the things that he wants done, and uh, the, the way that people are to live, and of course the action that is to be taken in his kingdom. And as we look through these verses, let's never lose mind, or never lose in our mind the fact that Jesus is talking about behavior and life in this kingdom. And and let me tell you this morning, if you know Christ as Savior, you have the privilege and the honor of being part of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not just what we're looking forward to after death uh, in heaven. It's not just uh, the messianic kingdom and all that goes along with it, but we are very truly and very much living in the kingdom of heaven right now. And we need to take note of that. We need to realize this. And of course, in doing so, we must begin to apply uh, the king's mandate uh, to our lives as well. Today we're looking uh, at blessed are those who mourn. Now last week we looked at blessed are those that are poor in spirit. We talked about what that meant. I'll, uh, I'll say a little bit more about that as we go through the message. But this morning we're focusing on the, uh, where it says here that blessed are those who mourn. And I, I just want to make a note there that 
as we've looked at these last two messages, the first one says, uh, you know, blessed are those that are poor in spirit. And, you know, we, we think about all that goes along with that. Here it says, blessed are those who mourn. And I don't want us to take the, uh, the thought uh, that Jesus is saying that uh, Christians are supposed to be down, they're supposed to be sad, they're supposed to be, you know, sorrowful and, and, uh, and things like that. And, and definitely, uh, most of the times, I think, when we look at Christians and we see their frowning faces and things like that, you know, we, we may definitely think about those that are poor in spirit or those that are mourning. But I don't think at all, even though Jesus was called a man of sorrows, and although, you know, he was acquainted with grief and all those sort of things, I don't think that God's plan or God's will for his people is for us to walk around sad all the time or for us to walk around disgruntled all the time or for us to, you know, to be embittered or, or things like that. Uh, there is, I, I think that the life of a Christian should be filled with joy, with true joy and, and true happiness, even in the midst of trials and in the midst of, uh, of suffering and pain. You know, there, there is a joy that we're able to experience, given by God, that is above any other kind of joy. And so as we look at, at these verses that, uh, that start out talking about being poor in spirit or, or blessed are those that are mourned, uh, let, let's understand that we are talking about a growing process in the kingdom. God expects excellence out of His people. He expects a drastic change to take place in salvation from the time that uh, when someone first accepts Christ uh, and to the point that they begin to grow and mature. Well, listen, that transformation doesn't happen overnight. It's a process that we have to go through. And before we can ever, understand this, before we can ever take on God's righteousness, we have to empty ourselves of our own righteousness. And that's what this is about. When he talks about being poor in spirit, when he talks about blessed are those that are mourned, it's not a self-inflicted thing that we do that, that makes us mourn or that makes us sad or makes us sorrowful. This is, this is talking about emptying ourselves of all of our righteousness that He may fill us with His. That's what we're talking about here. And so on that note, we will uh, proceed with this verse. Now, there's a few things I want us to look at in verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I want us to just uh, strategically look at this verse uh, just by looking at a couple of words. First of all, we are going to look at that word mourn and what that means. Now, the kind of mourning that Jesus speaks of here, uh, again, it's not merely an affliction of the mind or a self-induced sadness. I don't think that we're to wake up every day and say, oh, I forgot, I'm not supposed to be happy today. And so, you know, we have to put on the frowny face and go out and, and uh, you know, we're never to show that we're happy or, or rejoicing because we're to be a sorrowful people. That's not what he's talking about. But very specifically, and listen to this, very specifically when he says, blessed are those that mourn. The mourning that he is talking about is a deep sorrow over one's true sinfulness. It's not talking about being sad in life. It's not talking about just mourning in general. But it's very specifically talking about those who are mourning over their sinful condition, the true state of sinfulness that they are in. Now listen, we cannot look at this beatitude apart from its connection with the first. Again, those who are poor in spirit are those who, through the Spirit's working in their heart, have recognized their true spiritual poverty. As we looked at last week, the fact that we are spiritually bankrupt with empty hands 
They fall before God, knowing that they have nothing good to bring in and of themselves. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. In connection with this, in recognition of their true spiritual bankruptcy, as we find in verse 3, in verse 4, it says that they mourn over their spiritual condition. And so, again, we have a process that takes place at the very beginning in the first beatitude. We have blessed are those that are poor in spirit. Again, recognizing, falling before God, recognizing their spiritual poverty. And in that spiritual poverty, as they realize who they are in light of who He is, when they stand before His righteousness, they begin to mourn because they know in themselves that there is no righteousness in them. That any righteousness that has ever taken place in their life or has ever proceeded from their mouths or from their actions, any righteousness had to have come from Him because they're bankrupt. Blessed are those that mourn. And that is the mourning that He speaks of here in these verses. Now the question that's going to be asked, whether it be consciously or subconsciously, is this, why do I need to do that? That you, you can have this, preacher. <laughs> we didn't want all this mourning stuff. You know, we didn't come to church for you to tell us we we're supposed to be mourning over our sinfulness. We're, we're here to be uplifted. We're here to you know uh, you know get encouragement and things like that. We, we don't need to be told that uh, we're sinners. And and this is where so many people are going to fall away from God's work in them. Because the truth is, is that we really want to believe that we are truly good inside. That, that's the lie that we've told ourselves, the lie that we've been told, that in us is, is truly goodness. And we want to believe that about ourselves. We want to believe that deep down we are good and that deep down we are righteousness. We want to think that our righteousness has worth. And so when I say things like we come before God with arms full of our own righteousness and we empty ourselves of that, throw them all down and realize they are worth nothing before God. And then we say that we're to mourn over how truly sinful we are. None of us want to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. Because we desperately want to believe that as we stand before God, that there's something that we have to bring to the table. And God's Word tells us over and over and over again that we don't. Isaiah, the same one who stood before God, fell before God, and said, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. That same one said that all of our righteousness are filthy rags before Him. It's hard for us to accept and again, that is where most are going to stumble. They're going to trip right there. And they'll never continue on in their growth in the Lord because they can't get past the fact that they think that they are righteous. Our mind and our flesh is going to reject this accusation of being spiritually bankrupt and the need to mourn over how truly sinful we are. And this is the point where many are going to, uh, you know, they're going to start changing uh, their Facebook or, or, or you know, uh, they're going to change the podcast and uh, they're going to, you know, to stop, just turn this message off uh, altogether. When I say check, check at Facebook, I'm talking about you're going to stop listening to what I'm saying right now and start checking your status and, you know, see what's going on because what he's got to say, I'm not interested in. 
We're going to start thinking about what needs to be done. We're going to, you're, you're going to turn me off because you don't want to hear this. And that's fine. But I want you to know this. Until this truth is received and accepted, God will never truly begin to reign in your heart. Until you're ready to see how spiritually bankrupt you are. Until you are prepared to fall before God mourning because of your true state of sinfulness, He'll never reign. You'll never grow. You will never truly know what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God until you are ready to fall before Him empty-handed. Until you accept this truth that I'm talking about today, until you're ready to mourn over your sinfulness, you will never experience the joy and the fulfillment that comes from being blessed. Again, you will never be filled with God's righteousness until you're willing to empty yourself of your own. Now having said this, like the ability to become poor in spirit, this morning is not something that you can muster up within yourself. Again, it's not something you wake up and you try to put on like uh, you know, a, a mask and that, you know, you're, you're sad faced that day and that's what he means by, uh, by mourning within yourself. That, that's not what he's talking about. You cannot grit your teeth hard enough or squint your eyes tight enough to bring forth true mourning. Why? Remember, you're bankrupt. This is a spiritual fruit and you're bankrupt. You can't do this. And so it has to come from God. I want you to, to take this. True spiritual mourning is resigning to the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart and agreeing that in terms of righteousness, you stand empty-handed before Him. And so in, in response to your spiritual poverty, you mourn before God. Now, if you think that's degrading, listen to this. The mourning that Jesus speaks of here is not merely sorrow over something that you've done. It's mourning over what you are. It's not being sorrowful over something you've done. It's mourning over what you are. It's knowing that at the very core of your being, you are a sinner. You are sinful. It's part of your very nature. And left to your own desires, as good as you might want to be and as righteous as you might want to think you are and as holy as you might want to build yourself up to be, left to your own desires, 
your steps will always lead you right back to sin's path and the destruction that comes with it. You are not holy. You are not righteous. You are not just. You are not accepted in and of yourselves before God. Your works of righteousness and your goodness and all those things are nothing before Him. Because at the very center, at the very nucleus of who you are, the core of your being, you are sinful. In true humility and poverty of spirit then, if you're to mourn, then you fall daily before God in search of His mercy and grace. The Apostle Paul, in my mind, was one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. He was a man of God. He was used mightily of God. He worked hard for God. He expended all of his energy for God. He suffered miserably for God. But at the end of the day, I think that if we could have an interview with Paul, he would tell you, I'm bankrupt. And as I stand before God, I realize that I'm not good, but that He is. I think we see that in the very spirit of His writings. He knew what it meant to be poor in spirit. He knew what it meant to mourn over His sinfulness. Now that leads us to the next word. For this, we've got to back up just a few words from mourn and look at that word blessed again. Now, as we talk about the one who is mourning, the one that we've just presented here, we, we would look at someone like that and we would call them weak. We, we might call them pitiful or, or just sad. Here, Jesus calls them blessed. Again, the word blessed is not the superficial happiness that we mask ourselves with to hide our true state of mind. It's not happiness according to circumstances. But again, blessedness is a full inner joy regardless of outer circumstances. And that's what I presented last week, that uh, when he talks about blessed, every single time, that word means happy. It means a happiness or joy. And that is very true. But it's not happiness that is determined by the circumstances that we're going through. It's not happiness determined by how our life is or what frame of mind we're in or what's happening around us. But the happiness that Jesus is talking about goes past the surface. It reaches down into the very spirit of man. And it's a complete and full inner joy. Regardless of what's happening around us, regardless of what storm may be raging through our lives, there's an inner peace and inner joy that we're able to experience. Not from us, but given by the Spirit of God. Now, where does this blessedness come from? How do we get that? How do we reach that? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed, blessed are those that mourn. 
And so it's got to start with these. It has to start with being poured spirit. It has to start with this morning that Jesus talks about. Jesus says that a true, full, satisfying inner joy comes to those who mourn. Now, is that not the very epitome of an oxymoron? Anybody know what an oxymoron is? I mean, is that not just a perfect picture of that? Here we have this, this picture of someone who's mourning. I mean, they've abased themselves, and they're, they're mourning, they're sorrowful, they're lamenting over their sin before God. And he says, those people, those right there, are the ones who are blessed. Those are the ones who are happy. Those are the ones who truly know joy in life. Why? Because they found their proper place before God. How is this possible? Because the same Spirit of God, listen, the same Spirit of God that humbles us through shame and guilt is the same Spirit that lifts us up to immeasurable heights through our relationship with Christ. The same Spirit that brings us low, that makes us small before Him, is the same one that lifts us up that stands us up and that strengthens us for life and joy in this kingdom. That leads me to the last word here. Comforted. He says in verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, this comfort is not just a feeling. Comfort is not merely an absence of sorrow. Uh, and as we think about comfort and, uh, you know, God comforting someone who is mourning in life or just mourning through whatever they're going through, and uh, oftentimes I will pray that God would give them comfort. And, and I'm not just talking about an easing of pain or the absence of sorrow in their life. Listen, for someone who's lost a loved one, when someone has lost a, a, a parent or a husband or a child or something like that, uh, you know, and we're praying for God to comfort their hearts, we're not praying that God would remove the circumstances. That's not what we're praying for. I mean, they're not going to forget that they just lost a loved one. But in the very midst of that sorrow, in the very midst of the pain or the suffering or the anguish that they're going through, God can bring on a, a, a comfort that they've never known before, a comfort that no one could ever experience apart from God. So that even in the midst, just like that joy and that happiness we talked about, even in the midst of all the pain, there's a comfort. There's a healing. When they're broken, He can bring wholeness. That's the comfort He talks about here. Now He says, Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You can't be fixed till you're broken, can you? <laughs> And I think that's the very scene that we're being set up for here in, uh, in this verse. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. As I was growing aware of the necessity of the Spirit's aid in the Beatitudes, how helpless we are when it comes to being poor in spirit, or when it comes to mourning, or when it comes to true meekness, or when it comes to uh, you know, being pure in heart, or being peacemakers, or being uh, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, as I look at all these, the more I go, I go through this and the more I see, the more I realize how void of ability I am in becoming these things. How helpless I am at, at being what God wants me to be. 
but how that through the Spirit and, and His working in my life, that God can make me those things. And as I was taking, uh, taking a look and, and becoming more aware of that necessity of, his, of Him in our lives, I rejoice to find that the Spirit is not only part of the humbling and the growing process that we find in the first part of the verses, but there's a second part of each verse. There's a reward to each verse. And the Spirit of God in my heart is just as much of that humbling and growing process as He is of the rewarding process as well. See what I mean. Verse 4 says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Very interestingly, over in the book of John, chapter 14, Jesus began to promise that He would soon have to go away. He said, but when I, give you, when I leave you, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. But He says, I will send another comforter. Same word that we find here. Another comforter. And He's going to come. And He's going to do all those things that you're missing from My presence. And I want you to notice here, it says, Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. They are going to experience the very work of the Comforter in their life and all that it has to do with. Uh, We don't have enough time today for us to talk about all that that, that is wrapped up in this word comfort and all that's wrapped up in the Holy Spirit being our Comforter. But I want you to know that all that is wrapped up in there is presented us in this beautiful present, this beautiful gift today for those who will mourn. They will be comforted. I want to read a couple of verses, and you just listen, okay? It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Just listen to what's being said here. And I want you to notice that every time I say the word comfort, it's the very same word we're talking about here. Paul wrote this. He said in verse 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation." that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Every time, that same word. Comfort. Let me tell you that even in the times of our deepest sadness in life, the Spirit still offers comfort that can be found nowhere else. There's no other source of comfort, of true comfort that we can go to apart from God. Now in this kingdom of living, this kingdom of standing before our righteous King and realizing who we are, realizing what we are, who are we? We're poor in spirit. What are we? We're sinners. And we're to mourn over our state of sinfulness that, that process that we, is the only means by which we can truly begin to experience the comfort that Jesus talks about here in these verses. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, I can't help but think of Paul again who was 
again, one of the mightiest Christians that I've heard of or, or read about or that we have account of. But Paul even said that he glories in his tribulations and his persecutions and the hard times that he experiences and in the times when he is broken in the times when he is cast down he glories in those things why he said this he said because when i am weak then am i strong you can't be filled until you're empty you can't be made whole until you're broken. It's a process we have to go through. And as you stand before God's Word today, perhaps His Spirit is crushing your heart within you, causing you to realize who you are and how you truly stand before Him. But I want you to know that even in that broken feeling that you might have, even in that brokenness of spirit, that right now, at this very moment, He's offering true happiness and he is offering true comfort that you can't get from any other source in life it's made available today through us through the very one who delivered this message Jesus